Good afternoon, everybody. I want to say good morning, but we're now in the afternoon. I want to welcome you all to our Ash Wednesday service. Um, for those of you who are either new or have just come, my name is Ben Marquez. I'm on staff here. Uh, this is Joseph Weimer. We'll be leading the service today. We're grateful that uh, you have joined us as we begin to pre- prepare our hearts in this um, season of repentance. And so, uh, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, today uh, we're giving ourselves to you, Lord, uh, in this season of preparation, Lord, to examine ourselves, uh, to consider the work of Christ done on our behalf. Lord, that you would bring us to a place where we would know your presence deeply in our lives, where we would know the redeeming and refining work of Jesus in our lives as we look deep into our hearts and our souls, that you would expose to us, Lord, those things about ourselves um, that make us uncomfortable. Lord, that you would expose our sin so that in this time we would come to Jesus, that he would deal with it in the way that we know he has. But also, Father, that you would reveal to us and push us nearer and dearer to our neighbors, Lord, as we experience this work of repentance in our lives. It's what we desire for others, especially for those who don't know you, Jesus, because none of us can deal with the pain and the sinfulness in our hearts the way you can. And so be with us today, Lord. Reveal to us those things that you want to reveal and push us towards those things you want to push us towards, Lord. May we know your presence. May our worship be pleasing to you. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'd also like to welcome you. My name is Joseph Weimer, and I'm the worship leader here at Eastminster. Um, Lent is a time of loosening our grip on our functional saviors, of asking the Holy Spirit to transform um, our compulsions, our false attachments, um, and it is crying out for the mercy of Jesus um, and pleading for his cleansing um, as we move towards um, Good Friday, eventually Resurrection Sunday. Um, But at this point, I invite you to rise in spirit or body as we worship together. We'll begin with a hymn that I'm sure a number of you are familiar with, Come Ye Sinners. Uh, Maybe a little bit different of a tune, so I'll sing it once, um, and then you can join with me. Weak and wounded, sick and sore Jesus ready stands to save you Full of pity, join with power Sing that again Come ye sinners, poor and wretched Weak and wounded, sick and sore Jesus ready stands to save you Full 
love pity joined with power he is able he is able
seated. Uh, this is a physical mirroring of what our souls are doing, coming a little bit lower, a bit nearer to the ground, to the ash that we are from, and the, the dust to which we'll return. 
Um, so this next portion will be a time of corporate and individual confession and repentance. So I invite you to join um, in this prayer of confession and forgiveness. Let us pray these words. In the blazing light of your love, our failings are illuminated. Our failure to give, our failure to love, our failure to follow, our failure to serve, our failure to be the people you would have us to be. Forgive us and renew us. You know our nature, know our failings. Enfold us in your arms that we might daily know your forgiveness and healing love. Now hear this. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. We have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives, our self-indulgent appetites and ways, and our exploitation of other people our anger at our own frustration, and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves, our misplaced and inflated love of worldly goods and comforts, and our dishonesty in daily life and work, our negligence in prayer and worship, and our failure to nurture the faith that is in us. We cry out for mercy, O Lord. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. 
Lord, for the wrongs we have done, for our blindness to human need and suffering, and our indifference to injustice and cruelty, for all false judgments, for all uncharitable thoughts towards our neighbors, and for our prejudice and contempt towards those who differ from us, for our waste and pollution of your creation, and our lack of concern for those who come after us. Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us. Favorably hear us, for your mercy is great. Accomplish in us the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world. Cast me not away from your presence, O Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Sing, create in me. Create in me a our hearts by your spirit and bring to light that which needs to be repented of. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, which are constant, new every morning, and which sustain us. They have brought us to this place, and would you hold us in this space together? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will, you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the God who speaks, and these are your words, not ours. And so now, Spirit, do your work in us as the word is given to the people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm grateful you guys made it to our Ash Wednesday service. We're glad to have you to join us here in worship. Historically, Lent um, has been a season of repentance, fasting, and denial on the part of the church. Uh, as Joseph said earlier, means to prepare us for um, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Um, the word Lent comes from the word lengthen, which is a reference to the word lengthen, which was the time in spring when the days were lengthening. It's also been said in the early church, um, in the first three centuries, they did observe this season that is not necessarily um, prescribed in Scripture. Uh, it was three days that they would observed before, and somebody wanted to lengthen the days, and they picked 40. And 40 is not an insignificant number in Scripture. We see it at the onset of the book of Genesis, uh, when the Lord judged mankind through the flood. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. If you recall, when Moses killed an Egyptian, he fled to Midian in the desert, where he was a shepherd for 40 years. For him, it was a time of preparation. And then he comes and the Lord takes Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And then he goes to a mountain, Mount Sinai, for 40 days and 40 nights. And what does the Lord give him? The Ten Commandments. And then he comes down the mountain and what happens? The people have sinned against God. And what does he do? He drops the tablets and he goes back up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights where he fasts and he intercedes on behalf of the people of Israel that God would not destroy them. When the spies were sent out to the land, as Pastor Stan has shared with us as we're in this book of Joshua on Sundays, they spied the land out for 40 days and for 40 nights. And then you go further down into the history of Israel, and it was 40 years that the Israelites served the Philistines until Samson delivered them. So for 40 years, the period of time between when Goliath started taunting Israel and David defeated Israel was 40 days and 40 nights. And if you remember when the Lord finally forced Jonah to actually go to Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3, what does Jonah preach? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And so in that time for Nineveh, it was a time of testing, time of judgment that they would repent. And what did Nineveh do? They repented. Post-resurrection, the Lord is with his disciples for 40 days, preparing them to advance the cause of the gospel, which is where we're headed. But here now, we have another 40 days. And so we see our Lord now coming into the wilderness, and so we learn that this number 40 is significant. It's an indication of judgment, of preparation, of trial, of the opportunity 
to repent. And so whoever picked this 40-day Lent season, I think knew what they were doing. So let me remind you of what happens in Matthew chapter 3. This is where we read of our Lord's baptism. You might recall that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was the forebearer of Jesus. He was preparing God's people to receive the Messiah. And so God had established a baptism of repentance through John. And this was interesting because the Jews were never baptized until this point. They only relegated baptism for Gentiles. And so now at this point in time in history, as John is preparing his own people for the Messiah, they're getting baptized. And Jesus comes down the mountain and behold the Lamb of God. And John sees Jesus coming. But we all know that our Lord is in no need of repentance. And so John is trying to defer, look, Lord, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says an interesting thing. He says, John, permit it. Or it is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And though Jesus was not in need of repentance, he must undergo baptism. Because Jesus is now carrying out the work that sinners need to do. Sinners need to be baptized. And so now Jesus is identifying with us, and then he's carrying out the work that is mandated by the Father, a work that we cannot do. And so Jesus' baptism is his inauguration into his public ministry. Some would call it, this is his ordination day. Okay? And so Jesus goes under the waters of baptism to show us that the path to glory, the path upward is to first descend and go down. Okay? And so he teaches this theme throughout his ministry. The path up is down when he says things like, in order to find your life, you have to lose it. The last will be first. And in order to live, you have to die. And Jesus is setting this example for us. He is getting ready to fulfill all righteousness. And so now at the onset of his public ministry, Jesus doesn't go to seminary. And he doesn't go on a silent retreat away from all the noise. It's desolate where he goes. And in Matthew chapter 4, the text reads, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And so for Jesus, this 40-day period was a test. In this test, Jesus faced what Adam faced. Adam faced a test. In this test, Jesus faced what the Israelites faced in the wilderness. And in this test, Jesus faced what you and I face every day. And what's that test? The test for us today and the test for Jesus is whose words do you believe will bring you life? Whose words are you willing to believe? You see, Adam was the first representative of humanity. He represented us in the garden. He had it a lot better than Jesus did. He was the first representative of humanity, and he failed his test, plunging the world into its current miserable estate. The Israelites failed their test in the wilderness, 
leading to a generation who was unable to enter into the land that God had promised. And even today, this test is failed by us as Christians, and this is evidenced by the fact that we actually have to confess our sins corporately together. We don't love Christ as we should. We don't love our neighbors. We often lack joy and hope. Our failure to trust and obey God and his word and our willingness to believe the lies of the enemy makes the work of Jesus in the wilderness absolutely essential for me and you. The New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. This means that he is the new representative of humanity who undertakes the test that Adam failed. And Jesus accomplished this for us, not in a pristine garden, but in a desolate wilderness inhabited probably only by wild rabbits, snakes, scorpions, and an occasional bird. In the Old Testament, this place is called Jeshimon, and it's translated devastation. Jesus went to the place of devastation to be tested. So in verse 3, we read that the tempter came to Jesus and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Beloved, I want you to know that this temptation is not about food. The enemy is making it about food because he knows our Lord Jesus is most vulnerable at that, in that place. He's hungry and he's fasting. Rather, this temptation and every temptation is about our identity and our allegiance. This was about Jesus' identity and his allegiance. Jesus knows his identity because his father gave it to him in the, previous, in the previous chapter. Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism. And what does the father pronounce publicly before all people? This is my son. He is beloved. And with him, I am well pleased. And so Jesus, as the true son of the father, Jesus is intimately acquainted with the father. And as a true and faithful son, Jesus knows what his father approves and disapproves. And this is why Jesus responds the way he does by saying, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so Jesus is saying, you're making this about food, Satan. It's not about that. It's about what my father says. Jesus had committed himself to a fast and he wasn't going to break that to give his allegiance to the enemy because he is the son of the father. He was hungry, but he knew in his response that even in times of hunger, the true bread is the bread from heaven, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus passes test one. Verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. If you just note, it's the subtlety of if. You are the Son of God. That's how the enemy lies to us. It's very subtle. But you find in the progression of his tests to Jesus, his, his deviance progresses. 
in his first tactic, it's a little subtle. It's actually clothed in his supposed concern for Jesus being hungry. He makes Jesus think, I'm concerned for you. But the second tactic is clothed in a supposed concern for the fulfillment of God's word. Which is why the enemy quotes Psalm 91 in this test. He can see that Jesus is onto him and that Jesus is acquainted with God's word intimately. And so now he has to use that to try to subvert Jesus. Isn't it amazing that the enemy will use anything, even the holy word of God, in order to get us to do his bidding? He wants our allegiance. And right here, he wants the allegiance of the Son of God. And so now he's attempting to use the word of God in order to subvert the word of God. This is a a tactic that many succumb to today as they might use one passage of Scripture to nullify and make void of an obedience to another passage of Scripture. And Jesus is not having it. And this is why he says, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test. Jesus is saying to the enemy, I'm not going to fulfill Psalm 91 because if I do in this moment, it's a direct violation of you shall not put the Lord your God to the test out of Deuteronomy. The enemy always uses something good and he closes it in his concern for you to get you to do his bidding. Every temptation is not about the thing or the carrot that the enemy is dangling. It's about your allegiance to him. And so Jesus, the true son, passes test two. And in verse eight, the enemy takes him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he says to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So the progression of Satan's attack on our Lord has now culminated, and he is so frustrated He is upset. He is consumed with his hatred for Jesus and Jesus' unwillingness that he can't handle it anymore. So he just basically tells Jesus what he wanted all along. I want you to worship me. I don't ever want to deny the craftiness of Satan, but he truly is like a child who tries to trick mom and dad to get them what they want because they know that's not what mom and dad want them to want. And finally, when mom and dad didn't give them what they want, they finally say, I want this. And so the enemy, in his final tactic, does this. And the Lord says to him, go away. Go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And so Jesus responds as the true son by telling Satan there is only one worthy of worship, and that is God alone. And the icing on the cake is that Christ actually fulfills the very verse that Satan tried to get him to fulfill in an illegitimate way in test two. The angels began to minister to the Lord. Friends, the Lord Jesus passed the test for us. 
because he withstood the onslaught of his greatest adversary and our greatest adversary, a test that Adam failed in the pristine garden, he secured true victory for us over the enemy. This is the victory of Lent. Christ fought your battle, and he won. For this, we praise and we thank Jesus. And so in light of this battle that our Lord fought, that was necessary for him to fulfill all righteousness, how ought we as a congregation respond? This is what the season of Lent is for, our response to that. And so I want you to consider three things, three applications or responses that I would encourage you to consider in this season of Lent. And the first is that you would consider fasting. In Matthew chapter 9, the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist, came to Jesus and they said, look, Jesus, we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast. Okay. And so Jesus says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So fasting, it's not a question of will or if, it's just when. And so I would consider you to, to fast in some manner or some way. And let me help you um, consider a few ways to do that. Um, personally, I will be fasting 24-hour fasts. Um, I started last night, and I'll do them Tuesday night through Wednesday evening. So I'll eat dinner with my family on Wednesday nights. And you can fast that way. Some people choose to fast from a certain good or food or something of value that you love. Um, to remind you of you're missing that. And when you miss that, we're going to get to the second and third points of application. But I would encourage you to fast from something. Maybe you're a person who just needs to fast from inserting your voice in every conversation. Maybe you're somebody who needs to fast from a glass of wine every night. There are a number of ways you can fast. Historically, it's been through food. And so I would encourage you to fast. Following that, Our second point of application or response would be in this season of repentance to repent. So fasting is always accompanied with prayer. And in your prayers, I would ask for God to reveal to you every way in which you failed the test that your Lord passed for you. This is a season of examination. A season of when you are responding to your fast and and you're hungry or you're deprived, you say, Lord, now... Help me to be ready to receive something I don't want to hear about myself. And when you do that, and when he does that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come back to his victory in the wilderness that you would say thank you. Thank you that you passed that test for me because I can't do it. So that's the second point of application. You've got fasting, you've got praying, and now I'm going to ask you the third point is to intercede Don't hoard the benefits of your redemption to yourself. Jesus didn't save you so you can feel good about yourself. I hope you do because he loves you. But so that you can bring that message of hope, that message of healing that you have been given. We are not hoarders as believers. We have been called to bring that and to intercede on behalf of those who are believers but maybe succumbing to their own sin in ways that are really destroying them, okay? And even for our friends and family members who don't know Jesus yet, they are in a place in the wilderness 
that will lead to judgment lest we intercede and bring to them the one who gave us victory. And so when you're fasting and praying, ask the Lord to reveal those things and refine those things, those lies that you're believing. Ask Him to give you healing and hope. And in that joy, begin interceding on behalf of others. Because as a church, we are going to have an Easter celebration. But if you are not aware of the work that the Lord is doing in you, how can you be aware of the work that you want to be done in your neighbor? And so begin to intercede on their behalf that they would know God's loving presence and faithful presence in their lives as we do in this season of repentance. Friends, Jesus loves us. He's victorious in the wilderness. And if you're in the wilderness, he is your hope. Let's pray. Father, even in our repentance, we can't help but cry how good you are. It's a mystery, Lord, to hold to these two things together, our brokenness and your goodness. Lord Jesus, you're amazing. You are compassionate. You are kind. You're strong, Lord. I don't know how you did it. But I stand as one of your sons to say thank you. Father, I pray for those in here who have been broken and devastated by certain sins that they just can't seem to throw off. Father, our flesh and the enemy ravage us at times and we feel so hopeless. And so I pray for those represented in this room who have been hurt by others. Be with them, Jesus. Minister to them. Pray for those, Lord, who are in bondage to certain addictions and who hate it but just can't get out, who are devastated and ravaged by their self-hatred. Lord Jesus, have mercy. I pray for those, Lord, who are dealing with pride, who are just here because this is what you do. For them, Father, I pray that you would humble them, bring them into a season of repentance. Holy Spirit, we continue to thank you for your ongoing work. And we know it's just as much of a grace for us to have victory over sin in our personal lives as it is to actually repent. We need grace for both, Lord. So give us grace to live righteously and towards holiness. And give us grace, Lord, to admit the many ways in which we fail you. We thank you for this season, Lord, and I want to intercede on behalf of Eastminster and her work in this world. Jesus, we want to be a people who are known for their repentance, but who are also known for their joy and hope in the resurrection. Every day is a day that you are risen, even in the days where we are reflecting and repenting, God, of the sin we've committed. And so may this church be that church, Lord, that is known for her love for you and her love for her neighbor. And in this season, Lord, make us aware of the needs of our neighbors, our city, our families, our friends, those who don't know you, Lord, that you would be pleased to do a work in and through this church. God, have mercy on us.
Father, we thank you. You are good. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time, Pastor Mike is going to come up, and we are going to administer ashes on your forehead. If you're not comfortable with that, that's okay. You're welcome just to sit. Joseph will lead, and we'll finish uh, by singing. And so we would invite you here in a moment. We'll motion to come just by rows, and then you can go back to your seats when we have put the ashes on.
Pastor Mike and Joseph will just be up here if you need one of us to pray over you, for you, or with you. Um, and so we'll reserve some space at the end. As anybody's leaving, you don't need to, but we'll be here available if you would like for us to pray for you. And so I would ask you to rise now for the benediction. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the light of his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And go from this place in repentance and in peace.
in the knowledge that Jesus Christ has withstood the temptation of the enemy for you. Amen.